suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, hello and welcome, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Just the two of us on this occasion. I'm Trevor, the Iron Fist. Actually, the very first episode that we did, I mucked it up and I called myself the Velvet Glove and called you the Iron Fist, Scott. Do you remember that? <laughs> Vaguely. Yeah. yeah. 380 yeah. episodes ago. It was a while ago, but yeah. It was, in yeah. That, in that first one, I mucked it up. Anyway, I am Trevor. I'm the Iron Fist. Sitting on the fence, normally, Scott, the Velvet Glove. How are you, Scott? Not too bad, thanks, Trevor. G'day, listeners. How are you all? And and yeah, we're we're like meerkats. We're sitting atop a small mound, just looking out on the world, trying to warn you of tigers and lions and other critters that might be about. And we're just observing what's happening, sending out some warning signals. That's the aim of this podcast. As we talk about news and politics and sex and religion, Joe, the tech guy, is entertaining an overseas friend, so he's not around tonight. It's just the two of us. Hopefully. The technical stuff just works automatically. We'll see how we go. If you're in the chat room, say hello, and Paul is already there. So, g'day, Paul. How are you going? That's Paul from Canberra. All right. If you're in the chat room, say hello and make your comments, and we'll try and incorporate them as best we can. And first up, we've got a mystery has been solved, dear listener. You might remember that last week, we revealed that one of our earlier episodes, I think 303, had been taken down by YouTube because because we had been inciting violence. And I had no idea what YouTube was talking about. I asked them to tell me what are they talking about and they wouldn't say it. And they just said so they reviewed my appeal and um, and decided that we had been inciting violence and that episode was gone. Don't do it again. <laughs> we were left scratching our heads. Anyway, listener Watley listened through the episode and identified that it was probably the fault of none other than Landon Hardbottom. And as you know, dear listener, Landon Hardbottom is a satirical character, a comical character, (laughs) a guy who pretends to be like something out of Austin Powers. Imagine an evil Bond villain who is stroking his cat and defending capitalism, that's Landon Hardbottom. He's not meant to be serious. Not, he's not meant to be taken when seriously. When he says day. stuff, he doesn't mean it. <laughs> but anyway, YouTube did not see the humour in what in what Landon had done. And so just, you know, I want to give you a bit of a flavour of what Landon said, but I guess I have to edit what the clip was. So that this episode doesn't get, you know, removed. So I have edited it. Hopefully YouTube, if you are listening YouTube and reviewing this episode, it's it's meant to be comedy, not in seriously. Anyway, look, I might even have to just remove this from the YouTube version. If you're listening to the audio via the podcast, guess what? We'll put in an unedited full version of it. So anyway, for those in the chat room, who at the moment is just Paul and three others who haven't yet identified themselves, here's a bit of 
what it was that Landon was saying. Fist, 12th man, Joe the tech guy, new girl Shay, hard bottom here. New girl, you're not the first person to suggest shortening the length of my podcast, but I remind you the last person who made that suggestion received a visit from two rather large chaps who were there to perform knee surgery on him. I have a carrot for you. You can sit there and be the voice of all women in Australia and drink free beer. And now, the stick. If you persist in this attempt to shorten my podcast, those two rather large men that I spoke of will bundle you up, place you in a French nuclear submarine, retrofitted to run on diesel, you will be sent to my secret lair beneath a volcanic island. There you will be tied to a chair atop a tank of hungry sharks, each one fitted with a Jewish space laser. There you will be forced to listen to an endless argument between Fist and Twelfth Man about COVID-19 and how deadly it is and the effectiveness of lockdowns. The choice is yours. I don't know what was most threatening in that. Was it the shark-filled tank or was it being forced to listen to an endless <laughs> argument between myself and the dwarf man? What was it that, that YouTube really took offence out there? What, what, you know, quite possibly yeah. the latter. Yeah. One so. would have thought so because that was the only thing that we could actually do. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, so in the light of that, you know, I was thinking sinister thoughts that, you know, somebody had gone through, got angry with us and had gone through past episodes and had found that and hence I put all of the episodes on sort of private unseen status for a while. But now I'm thinking, Scott, what I think has happened is an algorithm has run through or some bot has gone through the episode, created a transcript, looked for words and has come across that section. I think it's probably come about in that sort of robotic way and then somebody's looked at it so i think at some point i will reinstate the videos i'm not sure what i'm going to do part of me wants to keep them off and just to make them available to patrons but anyway we'll see how we go so so yeah that was the story of the youtube censorship quite a good little twist in the tail there scott i enjoyed that the first time that landon hardbottom has gone to blows with youtube yes so no doubt he is on his remote volcanic island scheming and plotting and perhaps might favour us with some more audio commentary in the near future. So <laughs> good on you, Landon, if you're out there. And uh, yes, that was good. One of the best jokes you've ever made, actually, isn't it? <laughs> End of the day. Speaking of jokes, Scott, mm. the Liberal Party of Australia. <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is an absolutely hilarious joke. So we had a by-election, this time in Victoria, seat of Aston, and for the first time in 100 years, the the opposition lost a by-election, and normally by-elections are good for oppositions because it's a chance for people to send a signal of, of disapproval of a government, and, and this was a previously blue-ribbon liberal seat, and it's been flipped. And quite a big swing, and Labor's picked it up, which is simply confirming, Scott, what a dire situation the Liberals are in if they can't win the seat of Alston or Aston in a 
by-election. What do you think? Well, I think you're right. You know, mm. it's the commentators that I've been listening to, you know, I haven't heard anything from Credlin or anyone else on Sky News, but, you know, Malcolm Turnbull is not backward and coming forward with what he wants to actually do to the Liberal Party because he doesn't like them anymore. And he, he actually said that, he said this is proof positive that they've got to move back to the centre. But he also said that's going to be terribly difficult for Dutton because he's a right-wing warrior mm-hmm. for cultural war issues and all that type of thing. Now, that is very true. I don't know what the hell they're going to do because their branches have been stacked by Christian lunatics and that's going to make it impossible for them to pre-select anyone that's sensible. So you're going to have nutters and that sort of stuff occupying the government benches until those that are still sensible would actually then retire and then you're going to end up with only the lunatics in there. So they're going to be out there. You know, they'll never actually, if they do ever make it to government, they'll only last one term. They'll be kicked out of their, kicked out on their ass after a term because the lunatic right are lunatics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you allow them to actually say what they actually want to do, then if they get into position where they can govern and do that, then the public are just going to kick them out on their asses. Well, I think we've seen that, haven't we? The Morrison yeah. government, people saw yeah. it and thought, yikes. Exactly. Um, yeah, yikes. So just as a tweet by a guy, Alan Katzman, who says the Liberal Party now holds just 15 of 80 metropolitan seats in mainland Australia. And overall, the actual Liberal Party is 25 seats in the 151-seat parliament, the LNP in Queensland, which a lot of it is National Party core. They've got 21 seats. So, so yeah, actual pure Liberal Party, 25 seats out of 151. Not many. Mm. So they're in trouble. We've got some commentary about what different people have made of the results. Let's see. Let me just find this. First one will be... Oops, wrong button. Hang on a second. Dictator Dan had some stuff to say, which I've edited down. Here we go. This is Dan Andrews. Now, I saw Mr Dutton this morning give an interview and, frankly, some of the most extraordinary commentary I've heard for a long time. This this notion that families in the suburbs are apparently up in arms, you know, about trans issues and whether it's anti-trans, anti-gay, anti-Chinese people, the list goes on and on. The Liberal Party are a nasty, bigoted outfit and people have worked them out. Yeah, I do argue with that. Mm-mm. They are obsessed with wanting to import these American-style culture wars mm-hmm. into Australia, and fortunately, Australians are not buying it. It's not working here. He's right. They want to talk about trans issues all the time, as if it's a major talking point for people. Yeah, I know. It's mm. <laughs> they're watching too much Sky heard, News. I haven't heard anything of it. You know, it's mm. only when you when you listen to Sky News that you realise that some people are actually taking it seriously. Mm. So previously I've had a theory which is still holds that demographics are changing and boomers are dying off and the younger cohort are not influenced by Murdoch and 
they are not getting any benefits from Liberal National Party policies. Their policies in f- that are favourable for superannuation and for home ownership are not helping young people in their 20s who are finding it increasingly difficult. So I've looked at it as being changing demographics and just more younger people not voting for them. But there was an article by Rick Morton and he sort of said that it's also just older, normally rusted on conservatives who just recognise that this bunch are complete idiots. And he lives out at Boona, which is in regional Queensland, and so he, you know, has day-to-day contact with your average rural person. And in his article, in his, he said, I was chatting to someone the other day who was married into one of the big farming families in town, about as national party as you can get. And they were lamenting the Palaszczuk state government in its various iterations. The person, in a pattern that has become all too familiar, then paused and added, but then you look at what the Queensland LNP are doing and it's fucking embarrassing. Like, we should be your people and you've lost us. And uh, Morton goes on to say, this is the Queensland LNP. It's the Victorian Liberals. It's the Coalition Federally. A cabal of increasingly irrational, degrade high school debaters who set out to prove the world was flat and having circumnavigated it twice, have decided to head around once more just to be sure. I wish I could write like that. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. The majority of people, especially in the ancient suburban strongholds of yore, i.e. Aston, have figured out that this lot are literally going around in circles. And he said that, you know, these things are cyclical. At least that's how history has happened before, but demographics are changing and rusted on voters are literally dying and... He says, to my mind, it's not that there is progressive rebellion necessarily, it's that the politics of those who wield power in the Victorian Libs and the Federal Coalition are so cooked, a phantasmagoric nightmare of cartoon fiendishness and unrepentant assholery that people who otherwise might have fought with them are being re- colourful, but these are the, this is the sort of vocabulary you need to describe these guys. They really have gone off the deep end. They're complete lunatics. Mm, It is no exaggeration. So just to play, we were talking about it earlier about Rennick. We'll play a bit of Rennick. If you want to know just how how nutbaggery these guys are, this is Senator Gerard Rennick who is LNP senator in Queensland, I think. Yeah, I believe he's from Queensland, yeah. Yeah, so talking about climate change at some sort of Senate inquiry of some sort. committee, yeah. Mm, Here we go. I was taught in grade eight science that basically materials come in three three forms, liquid, gas and solid objects, and I didn't know that gases could trap convection in the same way that a greenhouse would trap rising air, cool and then condense. I don't see how gases can do that. Yeah, so I think we've talked about this before, Senator, the phenomena of the atmosphere being kind of like a blanket around the Earth. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that description. Does gas trap convection or not? But we know from temperature measurements going back a very long time that the Earth is about 16 degrees warmer because of the residual greenhouse gases, CO2 mostly. Or, Or gravity. In the atmosphere. Or gravity. So I'm not sure I understand your point there. So... Well... Gravity, anyway, I know you don't think gravity has a part of it, and we'll take that up another day, but that's fine. I just wanted an answer. Does gas trap convection? 
does, does gas trap, trap conviction. Trap. Yeah. Well, heat's transmitted in three ways, convection, it's conduction, radi radiation. It's the radiation that gets absorbed. So, so the Earth radiates heat. Yeah, I understand all that, but, but that's not the only factor. Certain molecules absorb infrared better than others, so water vapour absorbs really well, CO2 absorbs really well, methane absorbs really well, so they, yep. they, when they absorb the energy, they heat up. And, so you warm the Mr. atmosphere. Marshall, it's not the question I asked you. Do gases um, trap conviction? Sen Senator Rennie, you, did, you said that it was your last question. Are you happy for well, Dr Marshall? Well, he's continuing. He's going down the path of radiation. Okay. We're just at the end of your conviction. block, so we'll just let Dr Marshall finish his answer to your question and then I'll yep. allocate the call. So do gases trap convection? Maybe if I can I'll just try and clarify. So. Mm -hmm. Con, you know, is conduction, convection, and radiation. They're the three yeah. modes of heat transfer. Yeah. Convection is heat transfer through the movement of a fluid, whether it's a gas exactly. or a liquid. Yeah. So, so convection or gas doesn't trap it. Moving gas is convection. And then, yeah. if you look at the Earth, yeah. the boundary layer or the boundary condition you have to put there is the edge of the atmosphere. Yeah. There is no movement of gas out across, across that. So, radiation is the only way it can happen. That's out. why we talk about yeah. radiation. Yeah. Yeah, and it's trapped in the atmosphere okay. by gravity. Thanks. It's all good. Scott? It's not what? trapped in the atmosphere by gravity. You know, the guy's a fucking idiot. What sort of mindset do you have where you're sitting there and you're thinking, these scientists, they've forgotten about gravity. I'll just point it out to them that they haven't calculated the effect of gravity in their theory. And I'll just I'll just hold forth on how gravity actually should be part of all this. You've got to be walk into a room of scientists and say, "Hey, you idiots! You forgot about gravity. Here's how it works." He's a complete nut. Yeah, really arrogance, yeah. isn't it? It's a real arrogance. To... Is he a Christian? Aren't they all? <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know, it's just one of those I'd things. I'd, I'd be prepared to put money on it that he is. Mm. You know, it's one of those things that I it's really well. quite frightening. Yeah. It's very American, wasn't it? It struck yeah. me as an American style of moment where unashamed stupidity, no no shame about well, There's absolutely no shame yeah. to it at all because, you know, the, he put that, he put after the end of it all, he might as well have said was written and authorised by the Liberal Party. Well, it wasn't mm. written and authorised by the Liberals. Yeah. So, so in the chat room, Paul and Watley are going off and, you know, at some point you said there about is it now going to be between Labor and the Greens? And I think, yes, I think Labor has to start contemplating more left-wing policies to avoid losing seats to the Greens, who are increasingly looking at picking some up, I would have thought. So, and this is a very right-wing Labor government, Scott. I am so glad, Scott, that I voted Green and preference Labor. I'd be really pissed. Because we're going to talk about a few things that Labor's been doing, particularly Julian Assange and, of course, the S-word that I'm not allowed to mention for another week, tax... They, they they really are a very right wing group, and yeah, I agree. With you. I, okay, the Liberal Party may be out of power, but as Guy Rundle said in Crikey, the politics of the Liberals, the policies, are still there. They're just being managed by the Labor Party now. They mm -hmm. are quite right wing in that sense, and so yeah, I'm I'm very happy with my decision to have voted Green and preference Labor because I'd be really angry with them 
if I'd have, if I'd have voted for them. So I think there's a lot of people in my position. Well, I voted for them. I didn't so, vote for the Greens. Okay. Well, are you wishing you did? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. It's right. just one of those things I... I'm quite comfortable with the current government. They have cocked up a few things, you know, like AUKUS just going with that blindly the way they appeared to have. You know, mm. that is an extremely expensive thing that they have done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they haven't actually, they haven't knocked the stage three tax cuts on the head, which is very disappointing that they haven't done that. That's the two things. Now, the other thing is the Housing Future Fund, which I don't fully understand, but apparently it's got nowhere near enough money in it, which really doesn't surprise me because you've got to spend $368 billion on nuclear-powered submarines. Mm. Mm. Guy Rundle, talking about Labor being right-wing, said he he's talking to the Liberals saying, well, first of all, he was... No, okay. So about he was saying, let's face it, while they may have lost the battle for the baubles, that is power, they've won the politics. Albanese is a left Howardist government integrating a centre-right social order with a high integration of the nation into racially-based international alliances. We won't be reviving local industry, reversing iniquitous school fundings or attacking the corrosive inequality of housing and superannuation. So we lost the politics to get the power. So I think Guy Rundle's on the money there. But his advice to the Liberal Party tactically was they should regard the 2025 election in two years' time, Scott, as lost already <laughs> and, and simply devote themselves to five years of the bloodiest, most relentless internal struggle to remove or limit the religious groups that have taken over core positions in the party. They should go full trot and regard actual national politics as a mere distraction from the real fight within. I agree with him. Give up on winning an election and just concentrate on... on dealing with the dickheads in your own party. On the parasite that has taken over the party. I Too agree late. wholeheartedly with him. Too late. They won't let go. It's gone. That's my view. But, yeah. So speaking of Howard-like sort of actions by this government, Julian Assange. So there was a sort of a question and answer in the Senate. Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong was being questioned by Shoebridge, and he was basically saying, well, we've signed up to this AUKUS deal. Surely somewhere in these negotiations over AUKUS, somebody has said, hey, but we want Julian Assange released and allowed back into Australia. Tell us that you have at least raised it in those discussions. And she just did everything she could to not answer the question and fluffed about and uh, he tried on several occasions. She ducked and she weaved and just said, we're doing what we can between government and government, but there are limits to what that diplomacy can achieve. So she wouldn't confirm anything other than the most vaguest sentiment but couldn't say, oh, yes, we had a discussion and we asked or demanded or did anything. Nothing. And... Rex Patrick 
had done a freedom of information request for all cablegrams sent between the Department of Foreign Affairs of Trade and Trade and the Embassy of Australia that relate to Julian Assange. And they were advised that that there was zero, not a single document. So nothing in writing being done by the government to get Julian Assange released. We've signed up to this AUKUS deal. We're all supposed to be buddy-buddy mates, so we should be able to pull a few favours, nothing. And then added to all that, if you do a search of Penny Wong's Twitter profile, she has, in recent times, she's called on a couple of people to be sort of freed from detention. There's an Australian citizen, Zhang Lei, facing trial in Beijing on national security charges. Our thoughts are with Ms Zheng and her loved ones. Australia will continue to advance for her to be reunited with her children. And there's another one about Russia's detention of a Moscow correspondent and calling on Russia to ensure access to consular and legal assistance. Meanwhile, not a single tweet in her whole Twitter profile that mentions the word Assange. Just, just a right-wing military industrial complex enabler. That's all she is, this current Labor government. Nothing leftish about them. Very disappointing. Scott, are you an Assange supporter? You don't care too much? I'm probably foot in both camps with Assange. I think he's done his time. You know, I think that they should let him come back to Australia and just be unmolested um mm. do i actually think he did anything wrong not really mm. except that the biggest complaint i had with him was if you compare him to that guy that's now living in russia whose name escapes me the bloke that snowden, um, snowden yeah snowden actually didn't just dump everything on the internet he actually gave it to journalists and all that sort of stuff and he said he wanted he wanted to have the final say on the stories Mm-hmm. Whereas if you compare the sort of mindless way that Assange dumped everything on the internet, oh, that's in dispute. And then, sorry, that that would be disputed by Assange supporters. I know supporters. it would be disputed by Assange was... supporters, which is fine. Mm. But you know, he didn't actually he didn't actually go through it and that sort of stuff and say, well, we can't release this because that that names civilians and all that sort of stuff. He just dumped the whole lot. Mm online which people would disagree with that sorry there would be people who disagree with that i know that people would disagree with it and that's fine but it's just one of those things i think that i think that assange was reckless he just Mm. dumped it so that was it anyway he's an australian citizen who was overseas and he's being subjected to american law to australia yes he should be brought back to australia wasn't even in america so i know yeah He should be brought back to Australia because if nothing else, you know, he probably deserves some sort of recognition because he was the bloke that got that footage out of the the gun cameras and that sort of stuff that were in the helicopter that shot up that bloke that was just Mm. carrying an SLR camera. Mm. You know, that was ridiculous. As Paul in the chat room says, Assange is just the scapegoat because the whole point is to pick a scapegoat and crush them to make everyone else afraid. That is true. That is a big part of what's happening is to is to warn anybody else off who might be contemplating something similar. Mm. Right. Scott, so yeah, Australian liberals obsessed with transgender 
issues and there was a shooting in America, a school shooting. Yeah. This time the shooter in Florida. was transgender, I believe. And so there's been lots of talk in America about how do we solve this gun violence problem? And for a lot of people, instead of looking at gun ownership laws, the problem is that these trans people who are evil and are wanting to kill Christians. Seriously. That's how lots of Americans are viewing this. If you don't believe me on that one, I've got, I've got somebody who I've got a clip here to show you which gives you that line. So here we go. A little bit of Tucker Carlson for you. Movement is the mirror image of Christianity and therefore its natural enemy. In Christianity, the price of admission is admitting that you're not God. The trans movement takes the opposite view. Trans ideology claims dominion over nature itself. We can change the identity we were born with, they will tell you with wild-eyed certainty. Christians can never agree with this statement because these are powers they believe God alone possesses. That unwillingness to agree, that failure to acknowledge a trans person's dominion over nature, incites and enrages some in the trans community. People who believe they're God can't stand to be reminded that they're not. So Christianity and transgender orthodoxy are wholly incompatible theologies. They can never be reconciled. They are on a collision course with each other. One side is likely to draw blood before the So instead of seeing this as crazy gun ownership laws of assault weapons that the rest of the world sees it as, they're, they're looking at a, a transverse. Yeah. There is no hope for that country. No, no hope at all. I was listening to a podcast, Scott, about J.K. Rowling. Mm. The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling. It's about six or seven episodes, and it was sort of mentioned in the latest Sam Harris podcast, but interviews and discussions about what J.K. Rowling was saying about trans issues in her Twitter stuff and how that all blew up and all the rest of it. Very interesting. Highly recommended to anybody with interest in this sort of thing. And part of the history that they were looking at was actually, was it the Columbine Shooting was one of the early ones. It was a big one, and that was a Christian it was, school. No, it was. It was, it was in Columbine. Columbine. Was in Colorado, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was one where there was a lot of film taken as the bodies were coming out, and yeah, it's, it's one of the ones where very young kids, and there was a lot of audio where people had phone calls to emergency services had been recorded, and in the aftermath of that, there was a lot of claiming that this was an attack on Christianity as well. It wasn't just a simple mad shooter. It was because it was a Christian school and and nonsense reporting like the shooters, uh, the shooter before killing a kid said, are you a Christian? And the kid proudly said, yes, you know, bam, got shot. And, and that sort of martyrdom of that young person was glorified and all sorts of stuff like that happened in relation to the shooting. It's such a crazy mixed up numbskull bunch over there, <laughs> just in a vortex of Christian stupidity. There's no just, there's no getting out of. Anyway, where was I heading with all this? So, yeah, the latest shooting, you've got someone like Tucker Carlson 
supposedly addressing the issue as he sees it, seeing the shooting as a matter of trans and Christian ideologies being incompatible and, of course, it's going to lead to violence. What can you do with these people? It's How bad is it? Actually, there's another guy who was a sort of a sports commentator, sort of summarised where they're at in terms of shootings in America. Let me find this one. Here we go. This morning. He has something he wants to say about school shootings. Here is his extra point. Another high school shooting yesterday, this one in Florida. 17 dead, the last report I saw. And everybody sends their thoughts and prayers again because that works so well. This is the 18th high school shooting in America this year, and we have 10 and a half months to go. We've had 290 since 2013. We average about one a week, but there's just nothing we can do. If it was a Muslim or a Mexican doing the shooting, how many new laws and how much money would we spend then to stop the madness? But since it's almost always a white kid, there's just nothing we can do. America has 5% of the world's population and yet 31% of the world's mass shootings. We're worried about people coming to this country. They should be worried about us going to theirs. Australia had four mass shootings between 87 and 96. They passed stricter gun laws and haven't had a single mass shooting since. And here I thought guns don't kill people do. Is this the people we are? Last time I said we need to find a way to stop a nut with a gun, and that's all I said. I get an email saying, I'm saving my last bullet to put it right between your eyes. Just another responsible gun owner in America, and I'm taking all bets he's a white guy. So there's just nothing we can do. I'm Dale Hansen. It's getting harder to enjoy the day. Well, there are good, sensible people over there just simply outnumbered and a system working against them. <clears throat> I wonder if somebody did try to change the Constitution, if, if you actually ran whatever whatever they need to do. I assume a referendum of some sort, a bit like uh, us, I, I assume, is what would happen. I they actually have to have a referendum. I think it's got to be, uh, it's got to be passed by both Houses of, of Congress. Mm. That they've got to get it, get it. Then after that, it's got to be ratified by a certain number of states within a certain time period. Because uh-huh. the Equal Rights Amendment fell over on not getting enough states to ratify it. Mm. And that, yeah, don't know. That, that's the amendments to the Constitution. Now, if you could, if you could get someone to actually try and knock the Second Amendment on the head you'd need to convince the Republicans in the Senate and that sort of stuff to vote it, vote with it. And then you'd have to get cracking on getting the, the states to actually support, the, to ratify that. So you reckon you reckon it's just the state legislatures then? Yeah. So it doesn't actually go to a referendum of such? That's my understanding. Okay. I don't know for certain, but that is my understanding. Somebody in the chat room can Google that for us. Let us know yeah, exactly. what it would take to change. The American Constitution. Yeah. Let me see. Just at the same time, a 16-year-old Burger King employee was arrested after Georgia police said he shot a customer with the customer's own gun during an argument over a sandwich that had the wrong sauce on it. That's what they're up to over there. Scott Donald Trump has been indicted by a Manhattan grand jury in connection with 
hush money paid to Stormy Daniels. Mm. And I Couldn't think, happen to a nicer bastard. No. <laughs> Tomorrow our time, there might be footage of him. I don't think he's going to be handcuffed, but somehow. No, I understand that the lawyers have actually, have actually said that we don't want him handcuffed. Mm. Lots of funny takes on this. One is uh, this is an attack on all of us who have paid off a porn star to influence a presidential election. <laughs> Another one from Caitlin Johnston. She wrote, Trump should have stuck to just doing legal things like assassinating foreign leaders, deliberately starving civilians, imprisoning journalists and dropping military explosives on foreign nations. There's something to that, isn't there? Of all the shit fuckery that American presidents have got up to, and this guy in particular, the thing that he's getting done on for his payment to a hush money to a porn star... Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's like Al Capone getting done for tax evasion, isn't it? It's that sort of actually, thing. Actually, I actually heard that there was someone else that said that this isn't Al Capone getting done for tax evasion. This is Al Capone getting done for serving alcohol at his illegal <laughs> gambling dens. <laughs> it is a bit that way. Yeah. Hopefully the rest – I hope I live long enough to see – all the stuff coming out as to what that guy got up to in his lifetime. I'm sure there's all sorts of things that will come out. There is. Yeah. The Beaverton, I think, is a bit like is a bit like uh, the Batuta Advocate and it said, Fugitive Trump's attempts to flee to Mexico thwarted by a big wall. It's not fair in America. They're such good citizens. For example, breaking news, the Pentagon is blocking the US from sharing evidence on Russian atrocities in Ukraine with the International Criminal Court. Military leaders fear setting a precedent that might pave the way to prosecute Americans. Mm. Ah, But what they forgot to mention was the Hague Invasion Act. This is from 2002. So not only are they refusing to share evidence on Russian atrocities because it might set a precedent for prosecuting Americans. Dear listener, have you ever heard of the Hague Invasion Act? So this is back in 2002. A new law supposedly protecting US service members from the International Criminal Court shows that the Bush administration will stop at nothing. So Bush signed into law... The American Service Members Protection Act of 2002, which is intended to intimidate countries that ratified the treaty for the International Criminal Court, the new law authorises the use of military force to liberate any American or citizen of a US allied country being held by the International Criminal Court, located in The Hague. So they're actually talking about a military attack on the Netherlands. Correct, to raid the International Criminal Court to get an American out, if necessary. That law was back in 2002. Yeah. You learn stuff every day about these guys. You do. Mm. Alison's in the chat room. Good on you, Alison. What else we got here? TikTok. So there's now a new Restrict Act and... It's about allowing the US to ban the use of TikTok if it wants to 
or any other um, software that might be operated by people the US doesn't like. And if people try and get around the ban by using a VPN, they could face 20 years in jail and a million-dollar fine. Jesus Christ. Apparently in China, they're quite, it's quite easy just to use a VPN in China and get around some of the restrictions that they have for different things. Yeah, well, so, Landon Highbottom has to go around, has to, has to get our podcast via a VPN. There you go. And this is a writer, Arnaud Bertrand, who's on Twitter all the time, thousands of followers, said that he's been using a VPN for virtually seven years without issue. So it's an accepted practice. But, yeah, in America, if you decide to get around this by using a VPN, you could face 20 years in jail. Oh. I mean, when <laughs> Caitlin Johnson says, you know, when there was – now, when there was the attack on the Twin Towers, some crazy laws were passed, but at least it was in response to what was quite a shocking attack. Yeah. This is just... This is just ridiculous. ...beating a crazy drum on not liking China and passing crazy laws when nothing's happened. Yeah. Amazing. Scott, apparently TikTok is not available in China. That doesn't surprise me. They have a different type of thing, not called TikTok, similar but different. And kids, for example, can only use it for 40 minutes a day. It's got a timer type thing on it and it's a much more positive experience. So, yeah, quite a different atmosphere on it. But TikTok itself is not available in China. And TikTok is headquartered in Los Angeles and Singapore. It's got a staff of 7,000 in the U.S., and so they're worried about the data that supposedly the Chinese government might get from TikTok. And in this article from the John Menendez blog, to TikTok's credit, it was reported by Catherine Thorbeck of CNN that independent researchers looking under the hood of TikTok in 2020 concluded that the app does not appear to collect any more data than your typical social media network. And in 2021, a Taiwanese-based researcher at the University of Toronto came to the same conclusion. So as we mentioned previously, TikTok is saying to independent people, here's a computer, here's a login, go and look in the code, jump in there and knock yourselves out and satisfy yourselves. And we're just doing the stuff that normal social media companies do here and there isn't some crazy channel off to the left that sends everything to the Communist Party. And in fact, the data is located on American soil, blah, blah, blah. It's a complete overreaction. So, <clears throat> It is a complete overreaction. Yes. All right. In the chat room, Paul finds it funny that you always swear to Jesus Christ, Scott. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Yeah. TikTok CN spies on people. TikTok US is now completely separate software. You need Joe to set you straight on this. So... TikTok CN, China, spies on people. TikTok US is now completely separate software. So just explain that one a bit more for me, please, Paul. Clive Palmer, back in the news, Scott. Yeah, Scott, we were talking about the S word way, way back in the early days, first mm. half dozen episodes. And one of the other things that we were talking about mixed in with secular issues back in the day was 
Trans-Pacific Partnership and these international agreements between countries where free trade agreements, which would have these investor state dispute settlement clauses, clauses. which essentially how they come about is rich countries worry that their, say, mining companies might go into one of those country with all those brown people like in South America and spend a lot of money building infrastructure stuff and maybe have it confiscated by the the local government. So in these free trade agreements, they constructed clauses that were designed to protect the property of these multinational companies in foreign countries. And the idea was that if there was a dispute it would go to an independent arbitrator sitting in some dingy room in Hong Kong or Europe or something like that who would make a determination about what was fair in an arbitration. And so it was... But these clauses, of course, were were worded very broadly. And the classic case was Philip Morris when Australia decided to change the packaging law for tobacco products. Philip Morris said that that was a breach of their freedom of trade that caused them loss of income and they took tried to take Australia to court to this arbitration to to get compensation. And dear listener, we had a thing with Clive Palmer which we mentioned back in 2020. So Clive Palmer had struck a deal with the Western Australian government and this was Jeff Gallup of the Western Australian government. And Gallup created the Iron Ore Processing Mineralogy, PDYLTD, Agreement Act, under which Western Australia promised to help Palmer exploit his iron ore mining tenements in the Pilbara. And the idea was it would encourage big mining companies like Clive Palmer's to come in and dig deep in Western Australia. And the agreement was incredibly generous. The basic scheme was that Palmer would come up with proposals for mining projects on his land, including transport, ports and shipping, and the minister in Western Australia was obliged to either approve these proposals or give his approval subject to conditions which had to be reasonable. Like an extraordinarily generous act that said, if Clive Palmer comes up with a harebrained idea, you have to either approve it or give approval subject to conditions which must be reasonable. And by the way, let me just see here, critically, if it was a question of what's reasonable, then it would go to arbitration rather than a court. And arbitration is just an expert, a barrister, somebody who's normally, say, a barrister, acting like a judge but not bound by the same rules as a judge. And it can lead to really unfair results. And you've got to be really careful about agreeing. You know, sometimes in building, say you're building a massive skyscraper and you have a contract and you, you say, look, in the event of a dispute, we want the matter settled by an arbitrator. Sometimes that can make sense that you would then use a real building expert who's familiar with what's common in the building industry is familiar with all the terminology and what's normal practice, and that could work out 
it's a sensible solution rather than trying to explain to a judge the intricacies of normal construction contracts and stuff. In certain circumstances, arbitration can make sense where you want to use an expert in a real technical field. But if your act says that any harebrained idea Clive Palmer comes up with has to be approved or approved with conditions that must be reasonable and an arbitrator can decide what's reasonable, you've really left yourself open to any sort of numbskull idea from Clive Palmer getting through. So super generous act had been passed in Western Australia and uh, let me see, in 2012 and 2014, the then Premier Colin Barnett refused to approve proposals put up by Palmer and an arbitration commenced. It's in secret, but the arbitrator reportedly made decisions in Palmer's favour, which spooked the Western Australian government. And Palmer claims he should have been operating and earning revenue by 2016. And the Western Australian government hurriedly passed exceptional laws that basically said everything to do with that Iron Ore Processing Act is completely void, any actions done under it completely void. Nobody, Clive Palmer in particular, can sue the Western Australian government pursuant to that act. It's all retrospective and it's as if it never existed type of thing, like a really extraordinary sort of attempt to retrospectively wipe away that deal because they were seemingly spooked by what this arbitrator was going to rule. So what did Palmer do? Obviously went through different appeal processes in Australia, which he lost. But cunningly, Scott, the companies that had these rights, he shifted them to Singapore, (laughs) which had a free trade agreement with Australia and he's seeking to use the Investor State Dispute Resolution or Settlement Clause to say, well, this is Australia has unfairly interfered with my property rights, which is a breach of the Free Trade Agreement, and I want an arbitrator under the Free Trade Agreement to sort this out. And that's where we're headed with Clive Palmer, who is now claiming 300 billion dollars in lost profit because he could have been selling all this iron ore that he's been prevented from selling. Scott, one thing good thing about the sub I said it submarine deal mm-hmm. is it gives us a multiple to work with. We can say, oh, Clive Palmer's basically claiming kind of like a submarine deal, 30 kind of claiming 30 years worth of submarines in this deal, mm-hmm. which are what, 256 billion. So he's claiming 300. What a mess. What a mess. And it's, he's got, apparently, you get the show notes. There's an article from The Conversation where he's got a chance. He's got a chance. He's got a chance. So there you go. Oh, the other thing is just a little twist in the tail. Who's one of the lawyers helping him? Christian Porter. Former Attorney General, disgraced. Yeah, he's acting for Palmer. One of the guys acting for Palmer in the So, all right. That's where we are. (sighs) Just a note on that uh, retrospective legislation that was rammed through in the WA Parliament. That Mm. was supported by both sides of the House. 
Yeah. Both the Liberal and Labor government. Mm. The Labor government and the Liberal opposition wanted it. Yep. Because it was a huge amount of money involved that yeah, nobody wanted that effect. This is where people like Palmer are too powerful. When we talk yeah, about absolutely. a wealth tax in this country, it's not just about remedying inequality and redistributing money from the rich to the poor. It's also about power. It's about these people like Reinhardt and Clive Palmer are too powerful and we need to be taxing their wealth at 99% once it's above $500 million or something crazy like that because they're dangerously powerful when they've got that much money. So, yeah, Clive Palmer. Oh, what does he say? By the way, he's claimed, let me find this part. It's, I hope I didn't throw it away. He said if he wins, he's going to give the money, use the money for charitable purposes. <laughs> Says he's going to help spend money on hospitals in Western Australia, something like that, as if. He's going to use it to line his own pockets. As if. Yeah. That mm. is really concerning that he's actually got a chance. Mm. So, all right, there we go. Scott, do you own any shares? Yeah, I do own shares. Do you like pick shares? Do you look at companies and pick them and, or you just have it in a, a basket of stuff you wouldn't even know which shares you've got? No, I know which shares I've got because the old man bought them. Right. Oh, so you just kept them. Yeah, I've kept them from him. Mm. So, you know, I know what they are. There's only three of them that appear to be dogs. The rest of them mm. are all pretty solid blue chip stocks. I've got Westpac, ANZ, BHP, CBA, and a gold miner whose name escapes me. And McWilliams, something or other. It's a salary sacrificing company. Okay. Yeah. The gold miner could be doing all right. Depending. It's not doing too bad. The gold miner's okay. It's down again today because the rest of the market's up, which is what you expect. When you okay. when your market's going down, the gold miners go up because mm. there's a you've got some what do you say? Two out of the four criminal banks. Yeah. I own three of the four criminal banks. <laughs> I own ANZ, S- Westpac, and CBA. Right. It's it's one Why'd of those you, things. Let's like get the other one and just finish off your collection. <laughs> no, I don't want to get the other one. <laughs> well, I could get the NAB, I suppose, but anyway. Here's what I was going to say. I've never been into stock picking because, it's you know, very hard to beat the market. It is. That is, it is very knowledge. hard to beat the market. That's why yeah. I put the majority of my money into a exchange mm. traded fund, which is mm. based on the Australian exchange. But, so. but as, yeah, but as you know, dear listener, I've been talking about the demise of the US dollar, and I've been talking now about about other countries trading in their local currency, and. And as part of that, often mixing in with it some gold. So my theory was that gold prices should rise. By the way, this podcast is in no way meant to offer financial advice. Don't take this as financial advice. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. I'm just telling you what I did. And uh, I thought, you know what? I reckon the gold price should go up because China and other countries and Russia are going to want to have some gold to add into the mix with their settlement of currencies. So I did that a year ago, and it's up 12.78%, Scott. That's mm. all right in this environment. So, and just news in that regard, China settled its first LNG trade in 
Yuan. So, so, and also the Brazilian government announced it had agreed with Beijing that all bilateral trade will now be settled in local currencies rather than the dollar. And there's all sorts of announcements happening all the time in terms of Saudi Arabia, China, whatnot, starting to do trading in their respective currencies without doing it in US dollars. And that's a big part of the shift in the world away from the power of the US because there's less demand for the US dollar and also it means the US can't impose sanctions in relation to those dollars if people don't have them. So so that's all still happening. Actually, a lot of what tonight's episode is, Scott, is sort of current events are just confirming theories that we've been running through. So, like, the Liberal Party are stuffed, just further evidence of that. The Yanks are stuffed (laughs) with gun control and obsession with transgender stuff. So that's the case. And, yeah, US dollar, more evidence of that has occurred in the last week of countries doing things their own way rather than via US dollars. All makes sense. Chips we talked about in the past where the US had instigated this this system of basically not allowing China access to high-end chips or machinery that would allow them to make high-end chips. And it's just been announced Japan has officially joined the US and the Netherlands in imposing restrictions on chip-making exports. So Japan has joined in. The problem for Japan is the largest export market for its semiconductors is China, where 44% of them go. What are these guys going to do? They've just crippled an industry. You, it just basically said to their chip exporting industry, well, we just wiped away 44% of your market. Find somewhere else to sell them to. It's not that easy. These countries are, are falling still subject to US pressure and ruining their economies as a result. Japan, the Netherlands with chips, Germany, not wanting to know what happened in Nord Stream. Anyway, Scott, there's often a lot of propaganda, as I've mentioned in the past, about China. And a really interesting thing happened with Crikey. You know, I said... In the lead-up to the last election, federal election, I was really enjoying Crikey. They were really good for bagging Scott Morrison. And they were really good on attacking Hillsong and other Christian groups who were up to skullduggery, like really strong sort of work that they were doing there. I was quite enjoying Crikey. But they came out with a really weird series of articles, China's Queer Purge, basically running the line that China was anti-queer and a whole host of terrible things were happening to queer people in China. And subsequently turned out, of course, that the author, who wasn't a regular crikey contributor, even in the actual original article, admitted that he was getting the information from Aspie, the Australian Security, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, right-wing 
think tank that's completely off the charts, <laughs> completely unreasonable. <laughs> this guy wrote articles saying that he was relying on their research that was bagging China as being anti-queer. Of course, it all came out that, that what he was saying in these articles was BS and Crikey had to pull the articles. It was a really strange move by Crikey to just to run them in the first place. Alarm bells should have just been going off. Some of them they don't normally use, relying on information from Aspie. Yeah. I just really I don't understand what's going on there. So, yeah, Crikey is a mixed bag. Well, I think Crikey was probably Mm. lapping up the whole anti-queer thing. Yes. Maybe. But anyway... Poor form to have swallowed that story. So anyway, in this article in the John Menadue blog, it does give some information about what's happening with alternative lifestyles in China. And Scott, China is home to at least half a dozen gay dating apps. And the most popular, Blued, has 60 million members, making it the biggest gay dating app in the world. Does it surprise you? Did you know that? That does, that does quite surprise me, actually. Mm. It's so. one of those things. I I read the articles and that sort of stuff on Crikey at the time, and I thought to myself, yeah, that probably makes sense. But, you know, it's one of those things. You've got to take the good with the bad, and I think that China has been guilty of some of that, but they have not been guilty as much of much of it as what has been claimed by Aspie. According to this article, homosexuality is celebrated in Chinese ancient literature. One classic, The Passion of the Cut Sleeve, the 2,000-year-old story of Han Dynasty Emperor and his relationship with another man, is studied in Chinese high schools. UK website travelgay.com identifies numerous gay-friendly attractions in China and promotes China holidays specifically for LGBTQI plus travellers. Another UK website, The Gay Passport, recommends a number of Shanghai's gay bars as a great place to meet the city's strong local gay community that frequents them. And even The Economist, noted right-wing magazine, has reported Beijing as a remarkable gay nightlife. So a number of Chinese state-owned and operated hospitals provide gender-affirmative surgery, while one of China's most revered celebrities... Jing uh, Jing, who is known universally as China's Oprah, hosts a variety talk show with over 100 million viewers, and she is transgender. So it goes on to say there is a cultural stigma attached to homosexuality in China, as with many similar cultures, particularly East Asian cultures like Korea and Japan, parents have enormous expectations on their children, which are often unrealistic and cause anxiety for young people who don't fall in line with accepted social norms. So Kind of goes on in the article to say that, of course, it's not all a bed of roses for gay people in China, but it's not necessarily the government as much as just culture and parents' expectations. It seems to be the gist of the gist or gist of the story. Mm. Mm. There we go. I mean, you hear enough China bashing out there, dear listener. You come on this program for just the alternative perspective. Hmm. Yeah, I think that on balance, China has probably copped a little bit too much out of our media. Mm. 
Hmm. Scott, I need mm. to, because I haven't done it for a long time, thank the patrons out there. Dear listener, you've been listening to this podcast for, have you been listening for sort of six months, maybe 20, 25 episodes? Get hooked on it, listen every week, looking forward to it. It's a bit slow on your app. You're sort of going, where is it? You're at the point where it's time to, to rustle up some funds and all we ask is the just a couple of bucks an episode if you can. If you're in hard times where you're counting every dollar, don't do it. So if you walk into a coffee shop and you think twice about buying a coffee because you don't have the money, then don't contribute to this podcast. But if you were flashing money around without even thinking about it, we'll flash some this way. Go onto Patreon and there's links in the show notes and become a supporter of the show and help out. Like Danny Borland, Obrad Puskarike, Anti-US Sentiment, Mark Clavel, Cy, Tom, that's Warehouse Guy, Rico, Greg P, Shannon, Leg, Don Tuvi, Matt Dwyer, Sue Cripp, James, Leanne, Branwen Wayne, David Hanby, Virgil, Craig Ball, Shane Ingram, Zambuck, David Copley, Graham Hannigan, yet another Pinker fan, Johnny Dyer Straits, Donnie Darko, Camille, Paul Waper in the chat room, Alexander Allen, Matthew Craig S, Glenn Bell, Professor Dr. Dentist, Adam Priest, Murray Waper, Andy Dowling, Peter Gillespie, Gavin S, Daniel Curtin, Liam McMahon, Dominic DeMassey, Maddock Mann, Bronwyn Ben, Kane Birch, Jimmy Spud, Tony Wall, Steve Shinners, Alison who's in the chat room, Ayame, Wayno, Craig and Janelle. So many of those people have been with us for a long, long time. So, do you know in 2022 we only picked up four people? In 2021, five? But lots of people there from 2020, 2019, 2018, Janelle from way back in 2016. So, if you don't like the idea of Patreon, you can support via PayPal. People like Mr. T, Paul Evans, Ann Reid, Darren Giddens, Dave S from Cairns, Noel Hamilton and... Louise have done that, so you could do that as well. Think of it like if you're travelling in the country, you see a little fruit stand where they're selling avocados or something like that or bananas or whatever the locals are growing and you would grow up and get a bag of stuff and there's an honesty box, then you would never dream of taking the stuff and not leaving some money behind. So if you're hooked on the show and you're really enjoying it, then couple of bucks a show. That's all we ask. So, or a pull away, but no, I don't need more beer. I'm trying to cut down on beer. Thanks, Paul. So maybe we need to send some to Scott. Scott might need some. Talk, talk to us privately. I'll take some beer if you want to send me some beer, Paul. Yeah. Okay. And gist is, is in giraffe. I always get that confused. Thank you for that, Paul. Right. So, yeah. So that's for patrons. You could also leave a positive review. Scott, have you used chat GPT? No, I haven't. Mm. It's one of those things I just don't want to use it because, I don't know, it's just one of those things that uh, it worries me that we are starting to rely on technology just a little bit too much. Mm. I think it's going to become increasingly useful. I agree. It's one of those things that's going to become increasingly useful and... uh, It's just one of those things that I'm probably just a little bit too old-fashioned for it, that's all. Mm. So with this podcast, dear listener, by the way, there's chapters. If you look at your at your app, you'll see that the segments for this show are in chapters and you can scoot around and repeat chapters or skip bits if you like. And so that's done in a certain format and 
At some stage, I'll need to do them in an additional format, which is a JSON file. <laughs> and I think I'll just be able to go to ChatGPT and say, see this data here? Convert it into a JSON file and it'll just do it for me. So things like that, it'll be very clever with. And Scott, I asked it to write a, a positive review of the podcast. <laughs> There's nobody else out there doing it. Now, it's only uh, the knowledge in ChatGPT4 is only up until a couple of years ago. It's like a cutoff point where it hasn't accessed the internet for the last couple of years. So the, it's not completely up to date with its knowledge. So actually, Jack H says, did some timetabling with ChatGPT for a roster. Worked great and uh, dodged a bit of balancing hassle. So... There we go. Anyway, this is Chat, chat GPT. It's a review. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Club podcast is a must-listen for anyone interested in politics, social issues and current events in Australia. Hosted by Trevor, Scott and Paul, this podcast provides insightful analysis and thought-provoking discussions on a wide range of topics. What sets this podcast apart is the way the hosts approach these issues they're not afraid to take a strong stance on controversial topics, but they do so in a way that is both informative and respectful of opposing viewpoints. They're also not afraid to inject humour into their discussions, making for a podcast that is both engaging and entertaining. Whether they're discussing the latest news on climate change, Australia's relationship with China, or the role of religion in society, hosts of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast always bring their A-game. They're well-informed, articulate and passionate about the issues they discuss and this comes through in every episode. Overall, I highly recommend the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast to anyone looking for a thought-provoking, engaging and entertaining podcast on politics and social issues in Australia. Whether you're a seasoned political junkie or just looking to learn more about the issues that matter, this podcast is sure to inform and inspire you. So go ahead and give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> you have so to chat say G, chat, chat, chat G, gpd wrote that for you did it <laughs> it did now paul says insert bland template text here <laughs> yes a lot of chat gpt stuff is bland but you know what that wasn't a bad effort it's not a bad effort. maybe all, a lot of life is bl maybe a lot of life is bland text template so Anyway, you know, for something like that as well, a good starting point, like say, for example, you wanted to write about something, you weren't sure where to start, you could, you could get it to kick off for you and then you could add stuff. So, yeah, I was, I was quite impressed with that. Mind you, I did ask for a positive review. You know what I'll do next week, Scott? Ask for a negative review. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bunch of racists. <laughs> That would be interesting to see what it comes up with. It would be, yeah. Ah, yeah. mm. uh, Scott, previously mentioned Peter Costello and the Future Fund. Guess what? They're investing in News Corp. Really? Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Ah, uh, Scott. See, I don't think there's any point investing in News Corp because it's, it's it seems to make most of its money out of its newspapers, which are just dying. Mm. They are. Oh, Scott, you know, I could dive into more stuff, but I think I think that's enough. You know, 
Lander might want to throw us into the shark tank. With the yeah, other. he might want to throw us into the shark tank, but then again, he might be concerned about that sort of thing because YouTube might be out to get him. Yeah. So I think we'll call it a night. Thank you in the chat room. I agree with you, Alison. Why isn't anyone talking about Skynet from the Terminator when it comes to AI? Mm. That does worry me just a little bit anyway. Mm. My friend Cameron Riley has got a new podcast called Futuristic. So you could look at that where he's talking about it. Um, look at that one. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Now, next week I will be down the coast. Hopefully technical stuff works. I'll be tethering off my phone. Hopefully that works. And, uh, oh, by the way, Alison says it terrifies her. But, Alison, the latest version apparently passes the bar exams easily. Like chat GP. T3 was rating in the bottom 10% of people who sit for the bar exam in America. But the current one regularly gets in the top 10% for the bar exam. And that's not just multiple choice. That is, you have to write essays and things as well. So for lawyers, can be smart enough to figure all that stuff out. So, yeah. At least you and I are out of the law, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but it could be just a useful tool if you're thinking, oh, where do I start? I think that's how I would – that's my view at the moment is how I would treat it would be as a useful starting point for something and then take it from there. Mm. But All right, dear listener. people would actually just use it as their final result. Yes. You know, yeah. that, that is the thing that does concern me is you've got – You've got something that could actually write a reasonable essay for a kid and that sort of stuff, so they could just produce it mm. and say it's theirs. Yeah. I can see a lot of foreign students whose English isn't quite up to speed. Yeah, exactly. Using it to tidy up their English. Yeah. And, yeah. And you know what? If they then use it at work to tidy up their English at work, does it really matter? I don't know. If it's, if it's on tap like that and... If the communication is in writing, then w- would it really matter? Mm. Mm. All right. Very interesting questions. I think Joe will be with us next week. Talk to you then. Bye for now. And it's a good night from me.